Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Uh, the rest of you, please find a Bible open to the book of 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a paperback one underneath one of the chairs in front of you. And open that to page 558. A few announcements here before we proceed. First of all, I want to remind you about our annual meeting coming up, not tomorrow night, but a week from tomorrow night, um, Monday night, 7 o'clock. If you're a member of the church, it's very important that you attend the meeting. If you're not a member, we would invite you to join us. Um, just want to let you know we will not actually have any officers uh, to vote on as we typically do. We have no elders or deacons standing for election. Um, we will tell you more about how we proceed from her here in terms of nominating others who might be elected to that office. You want to think about that, uh, but we'll talk about that at the annual meeting. <clears throat> um, there will be a packet of materials available as is customary and um, there'll be hard copies of that available this coming week. An email copy will be sent to you all this week. That is to you who are members. Um, hard copy available next Sunday as well. So please plan to, to be there at the annual meeting, 7 o'clock next Monday night. Uh, giving statements are available from the year 2019. For those of you who have given to the church, they are at the Welcome Center. So uh, make sure you pick that up on the way out today or in the coming weeks. And then lastly, um, <clears throat> we have uh, a basketball tournament coming up next Saturday, our second three-on-three -three basketball tournament. Not annual, I think the last one was just a few months ago, but we're doing this again and looking forward to it and um, uh, would encourage you to consider playing. Dan Perkins is organizing this and he's going to be assembling teams, so you can't choose a team for yourself, but Dan will put us together in a fair fashion and uh, we will play Saturday morning 10 a.m. to whenever we're done. So that's this coming Saturday. Uh, admission is $5 for New Life members, but we would encourage you to think about friends that you have who might be interested in basketball and might want to join us. So uh, bring them along, a good way to introduce them to the church. No charge for those who don't belong to the church. But again, that's next Saturday, 10 a.m. If you want to come out and watch, we'd love to have you. So that's next week. So thanks, Dan, for organizing that tournament. All right. Let's move now to our passage here. We are this morning returning to our series, Route 66, that we've been going through here for, I don't know how long it's been now, 14, 15 months. We are going through the Bible, one sermon per Bible book, working our way through the entire Bible, and we're in the New Testament now, and in fact, we are in the letters of Paul in the New Testament, and for the next 12 sermons, we're going to be looking at letters written by the Apostle Paul, this um, amazing monster intellect, uh, this person that God has chosen to be the chief articulator of New Testament Christian doctrine. We'll be spending a lot of time in these letters learning much about Christian doctrine in the coming weeks. The occasion for these letters that Paul wrote is that he would either plant a church or be acquainted with a church in a particular city, and he would write letters to these churches, giving them instruction or answering questions that they might have. 
And these letters have now been preserved for us in the New Testament as inspired scripture. So uh, that's the case here in 1 Corinthians. It's a letter that Paul has written to a church in a city called Corinth. That's where Corinthians live. There's a first and a second letter. We'll look at 2 Corinthians next week. Uh, but this church in Corinth is a church plagued by many problems. Uh, this is a church where they're having lots of questions about divorce, lots of questions about sexual immorality, uh, lawsuits that, are belie that believers are, are filing against each other. People are coming drunk to the Lord's Supper. So there's a lot of issues in this local body that Paul is addressing. And um, we'll uh, see where he goes with this as we look at chapter 12. That's our passage this morning, chapter 12. So just some background information on this letter, um, authored by Paul, no real disagreement there, 55 to 56 AD, significant events, as I've mentioned, uh, a lot of information on marriage in chapter 7, Lord's Supper, chapter 11, the great love chapter, chapter 13, which we read here yesterday at Dustin and Valerie's wedding, that's in 1 Corinthians, extended treatment of the resurrection chapter 15, and then in chapter 12 and chapter 14, actually, there's extended treatment on this question of spiritual gifts, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, spiritual gifts. Uh, the problem here in Corinth is that people were getting kind of prideful about their gifts. They were envying the gifts that others had. People were getting kind of snobbish about their gifts. A lot of division was setting into the church through the use of spiritual gifts, and so Paul is addressing this here in chapter 12. The theme here of this letter is uh, basically dysfunction in the church. Uh, sometimes people say, oh, if we could only be like the first century church. Well, sometimes, you know, I'm not sure you know really what you're asking for because the first century church had its significant dysfunction. This reminds us that there is no perfect church, that all churches are plagued with a variety of different kinds of dysfunction. We're sinners in need of grace, and that's why. Uh, but thankfully, God has given us his word to give us direction and his Holy Spirit to lead us through it. So, we're going to read chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. If you would please stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And maybe a question that you can ask as we read this passage and as you listen to this sermon is... How am I going to use my spiritual gifts to serve the church in 2020? How am I going to use my spiritual gifts to serve the church in 2020? Let that be the question that's kind of running through your mind uh, through this message. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now, <clears throat> concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, 
and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. God, again, we do ask for your Spirit, the same Spirit who gives gifts to give light to our eyes today, right now, as we look at your Word. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> okay, spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12. Three things that I want to point out to you from from this passage. And the first one is very simply this. It is that you, <coughs> you have been gifted by God. You have been gifted by God. A lot of you maybe, you, you don't feel like you're a very talented or very skilled or very able person. You think I'm not gifted. If you're a Christian, you are gifted. You're a gifted person. So let me explain how we see this in the text. First of all, verse 1. Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts. So uh, we see very clearly that that's what Paul is talking about. This is not hard. <laughs> Some texts are difficult. This text is pretty easy. Paul is talking about spiritual gifts. The way he's writing this, it seems like he's probably answering a question. Most scholars think that a letter was written to Paul asking questions, and then 1 Corinthians was written in response to that letter. And it's like Paul is saying, okay, now I remember you asked about spiritual gifts, so let me talk about that now. That's kind of what he's saying here at the beginning. So, about spiritual gifts, we might pause for just a moment to answer the question, what is a spiritual gift? What is that? How do we define that? Um, let's begin by thinking of what a spiritual gift is not. First of all, a spiritual gift is not just a natural talent. It's not just like being good at math or being good at three-on-three -three basketball, or being good at drawing or art or singing, that's not necessarily a spiritual gift. It's not just a natural talent. It's also not the fruit of the Spirit. We read about that in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. That is something that should be cultivated in every Christian, the various elements of the fruit of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit are different because they're given to different people in different amounts. Not everybody has the same ones. Here's what uh, Wayne Grudem says about a spiritual gift. It's any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. It's a pretty straightforward, simple definition. Any ability powered by the Spirit, and used in any ministry in the church. So, where do these gifts come from? Well, Paul, in verse 2, kind of sets up the rest of the chapter by talking about conversion, a person coming to faith in Jesus. He, notices, or he uh, notes in verse 2 that the Corinthians, many of them, used to be pagans. They weren't Christians at all. They were led astray by mute idols, they worshipped false gods. Uh, but then in verse 3 he says, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. That is, that 
when a person is converted, what that person does is he or she turns from idols and then turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. You are my Savior, yes, but you are also my Lord, and I give my life to you to submit myself to you all the days of my life. What Paul is saying is that no one says that in sincerity and true faith except by the Holy Spirit. Conversion is by the Spirit. Our opened eyes, our faith in Jesus, a new heart, it all comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the point that Paul is making here in verse 3. But with that um, power of the Spirit in the life of the person who's become a Christian, there's, there's more. It's not just conversion, but with that converting work comes gifts, certain gifts. So verse 4, he goes on. Now there are varieties of gifts, some spirit, the spirit who opened your eyes and softened your heart and regenerated you and converted you and made you a Christian, that spirit also gives gifts to you. And it's not just the spirit, but continue with me here, this is really beautifully put. In verse 5 he says there are varieties of service, but the same Lord well, who's the Lord? Well, go back to verse 3, right? No one says Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Lord, in verse 5, referring to Jesus. And then verse 6, there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them. That's with reference to God the Father. So you see the Trinity coming together here under the inspiration of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, and God the Father all together from all eternity has planned that when they together convert and bring someone to faith in Jesus, they also give spiritual gifts. And then look at the very end of verse 6. This is key for the point that I'm making. The same God who empowers them all in everyone. Everyone. Now, does that mean every person in the whole world? No. The context here is a letter to the church in Corinth. To everyone in the church, Paul says, everyone has been given a gift. You are gifted, brothers and sisters. You're gifted by the Spirit. So let's think about this a little further. Let me make two points about gifts. One, not all gifts are the same. Notice in verses 4, 5, and 6, there's that word varieties in each verse. Varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. The gifts are different. There are different gifts given to different people, different gift mixes given to different people. Some have multiple gifts, some have few gifts, but all the gifts are different, and there's a great variety here. Again, this is picturing the Trinity as well. You know, the Trinity is one God in three persons. There's a unity in diversity. The same thing here. We're all unified in saying that Jesus is Lord, but in our giftedness, there's a variety of gifts, and we're all different. So there's a wonderful diversity being described here that we should value. We, uh, one of the best pictures of this, I think, is like a football team, as some of us have been watching the NFL playoffs here Lately, a football team is a great picture of diversity. For a football team to work well, you need someone who can throw the ball well. You need someone who can run the ball well. But you also need somebody who can block defenders. And you need someone with good hands who can catch the ball. And you also need someone who can punt the ball. And you need someone who can kick the ball through the uprights. You need all of those different gifts. And they're all very different. 
right? They're very different. I mean, can you imagine a place kicker serving as an offensive tackle trying to block for the quarterback? Or imagine a 350-pound offensive tackle trying to kick the ball through the uprights? It's kind of an absurd picture because you see that their gift giftedness is very different, but each absolutely essential for the proper functioning of the team. Uh, this means that not everybody is going to share your gift and passion by way of application. Not everybody is going to share your gift, for instance, for missions or for evangelism or for children or for robust theological discussion. Now, to some degree, we should all have an interest in all of these things. But since we're all gifted with a different variety of gifts, we're going to have different passions. We're going to have different talents and skills. We should acknowledge that and allow for that to be in the church. Not all gifts are the same. We're made up differently, and that's what makes the body function well. But the second thing here is all gifts are important. All gifts are important. No matter how small you might think your gift is, it is important, and we need it. We need your gift. And I get this a little later in chapter 12 where Paul says this, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Not dispensable. We, we might think the body that has the weaker parts, well, we can dispense with the weaker parts. They're not as important as the strong parts. No, the weaker parts are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. The greater honor for the smaller gifts. Now, maybe you're a person, you think, I'm just not that gifted. I'm just not that able. I just don't know that much. I can't do many things, so they don't need me. Yes, we do. We need you. We want your gift. Dizzy Dean was a baseball player back in the 1930s. And uh, he was one of the uh, great hitter and playing a game, <clears throat> 1937, I think. There was a line drive, or maybe he was a pitcher. Baseball fans, can you correct me on that? Was he a pitcher? He was a pitcher. Okay, thank you. He was a pitcher. And uh, so he's pitching. There's a line drive coming, and it hits Dizzy Dean in the toe and breaks his toe. Just, it's just the toe, right? No big deal. Just the toe, except that his broken toe then affected the way he through his pitch, and it ended up altering his arm, and people said the, the guy was just never the same after that. His game was ruined. A few years later, he, he retired. And some say it was because he broke his toe. The smallest part in his body. The small parts affect the whole body. And that's what Paul is saying here in chapter 12. Friends, you are gifted and no matter how small you think your gift is, we need it, and we want it. And my question to you is this. Do you know what your gift is? Do you know how you're gifted? How has the Holy Spirit gifted you? That is something that I would recommend you pursue the answer to if you don't know that. And we're here to help you with that as leaders, elders, pastors in the church, to help you discover your gift. I realize also that some of you um, do know your gifts and you've been using your gifts and you're kind of worn out right now, quite frankly. 
uh, you're a little bit weary and you want to break and you want to take some time off. And, you know, I, I would say we understand that. That is, we, we get that. Some of you are using your gifts um, quite abundantly and strenuously. But, but there are others who are not using their gifts. And if that's you, you need to consider how has God gifted you and how can you use the gift? And that leads us to the second point, which is this, the purpose that you have been gifted. You have been gifted for the church. Look at verse 7. After all that Paul has said here in verses 1 through 6, he adds this in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good. Now, again, is that the common good of the world or the society or the city of Corinth? No, this is written to the church in Corinth. It's the common good of the church. God has given you gifts not to be hidden, but to be brought out and used in service to this local body or whatever local body you belong to. In other words, if I might put it this way, we have a right to your gifts. And you don't have the right to hide them from us. <laughs> uh, I heard lately about a, an artist named Henry Darger, or Darger, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, Henry Darger. He was a, 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 he's an internationally famous fantasy writer and watercolor artist. And none of his work was discovered until after he died. He did all of this work, all this artwork throughout his in, entire life and never shared it with anybody. After he passed away, it was found and he became famous. That's not the way it ought to be in the church. Whatever gift you are given, it's not something to be hidden away that we learn about after you go away or after you pass away. Gifts are given for the sake of the church. So let's look here through these next verses, 8 through 10, to see how this works. How are these gifts given in particular to others. And we'll just take these kind of one at a time. So what Paul does here is he lists a variety of different kinds of spiritual gifts. Verse 8, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge. So some have the gift of knowledge, some are just blessed with good brains, brains that remember information really well, retain information, and can assemble information well. Um, others are given the gift of wisdom. That is, they can apply that kind of information to life situations, in particular to difficult life situations. And it would seem in verse 8 that some have wisdom and don't have knowledge, and some have knowledge and don't have wisdom. But in any case, the way to best use your wisdom and knowledge is to share it with others, right? <laughs> I mean, there are those of us who don't have much wisdom. We need wise people in our lives. There are those of us who don't know the Bible and theology so well, and so we need people who are very knowledgeable in those things. These, these gifts are given to benefit others in the church. Verse 9, to another is given the gift of faith. Again, by the same Spirit. Faith is given. Now, I don't think this means saving faith. Every Christian has saving faith, right? Uh, this is a, a different kind of of faith. This is a faith that expects great things from God and therefore is willing to attempt great things for God. This is the person who has vision. This is the person who looks to God to do things that others think are impossible. 
This is the person who says, I'm going to attempt something so great for God that it won't happen unless God is in it. That's the person of faith. That's the person who looks at a dismal situation and says, what are you worried about? God is real. God has promised he's going to do something with this. You watch. It's going to happen. Now, the pessimists and the cynical types among us, we need people of faith. We need people to encourage us and to help us see the world and look through the lens of faith. And so the gift of faith is given for the common good. Verses 9 and 10. To another then is given faith by the same spirit. To another gifts of healing by one spirit. To another the working of miracles. Now I think it's pretty obvious to see how this would be a benefit to the common good if you were sick, you would want someone to be able to come, perform a miracle, and, and heal you. So it's obvious here how these particular gifts serve the common good. Now, I, I know some of you are thinking, well, who in our congregation here at New Life has the gift of miracles? Has anybody performed a miracle anytime lately here at New Life? Have we seen anybody heal another person here at, at New Life? I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it happen. Um, so why is that? Well, <clears throat> I think the answer to that has to do with some other passages in Scripture. Whoops, I haven't been listing, listing these here on your screen. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles. Um, <clears throat> if we look ahead to 2 Corinthians 12.12, it says this. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 says the same thing. It seems like what the New Testament teaches is that the gift of being able to perform miracles and healings were given particularly to apostles, those who had been charged by God with communicating and preserving the message that Jesus has given us so that these things could be written down in the New Testament. Now, we don't believe that the office of apostle continues anymore. So these abilities to perform miracles and healings were a way for God to say, listen to these people. I am setting these people aside for a very specific and unique work. And they're doing these miracles so that you will see the authority that I have given to them. But if that office of apostle has ceased we would not expect there to be any longer a need for God to equip individuals with the gift of healing and miracles. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't do healings and miracles. Of course he does. God heals, yes. God does miracles, yes, he does. The question is, does he give to specific individuals a spiritual gift that allows them to do that? And I think there's reason to question whether that, that still exists or continues today. Maybe you've seen this in the news um, just a couple weeks ago. There's a church out in California called Bethel Church in Redding, California. And there's a family there whose two-year-old daughter passed away. Uh, very sad, very tragic story. And they said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray and we're going to resurrect this child from the dead. And so it was in a lot of secular newspapers and they prayed over the child and they sang songs over the child and, and the child did not resurrect from the dead. And so it's, you know, it's a very sad story. I, I would just suggest that perhaps Bethel is expecting something out of certain people that the scriptures are not promising. 
signs of healings and miracles. Next thing we have in verse 10 is the working of uh, prophecy. Prophecy. Uh, Prophecy, this is just the ability to communicate God's word, uh, to edify and bless others by communicating God's word. I think these are uh, seen most readily in the offices of teaching and, and pastoring and preaching today. Uh, discernment in verse 10. Let's go back to our list here. Discernment in verse 10 it says, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. Uh, this is very similar to, to wisdom. It's the ability to determine the difference between what is coming from the spirit of God and what is coming from the spirit of a demon. Uh, These are people who can listen carefully to your situation and give counsel to you because they can discern what God is doing and discern other areas where God might not be at at work. Um, Perhaps that that some of those people in the church at at Bethel could have used some additional discernment uh, in what has recently transpired there. And then lastly, we have a mention in verse 10 of tongues to another various kinds of tongues to another, the interpretation of tongues. So tongues, it's a, like a special form of speech given by the Holy Spirit. We see the gift of tongues being poured out in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. In that case, people were speaking foreign tongues, foreign languages that others could understand and recognize as real foreign languages. But Notice at the end of verse 10, to another the interpretation of tongues. Why? Because these gifts are given to benefit the church, to be part of the common good, and no one is going to be blessed by tongues unless there's someone who can interpret those tongues so that everybody else can understand what's being said. Now, there's a lot of debate, right, about which of these gifts continue and which of them don't, we might have a variety of different opinions. That's something your life groups can discuss further. My major point here, what I want you to see is that these gifts are given for the church. They're given to bless other Christians. They're given for the common good. There are other passages in Scripture that list gifts. Here's uh, in Romans 12. And notice the emphasis on the service to the common good. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. If prophecy, proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Also, 1 Peter 4, as has received, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So you'll see in different portions of Scripture kind of differing lists of gifts, which suggests that no list is exhaustive. There are a lot of different gifts, and maybe even more gifts than are listed actually in the Scriptures. So it can take some time perhaps to figure out exactly how you've been gifted. So, if you're looking for some help with this, some of you know we have a spiritual gift survey, and there are some copies available at the Welcome Center, and if you haven't seen that, I would recommend that you pick one up, and it'll ask a lot of questions that will help you discern um, how God might have gifted you. Um, I think 
maybe the best way to figure out your gift is just to find a place in the church that kind of draws your heart and get to work and see what happens. See if God uses you to bless. Uh, see if you find satisfaction in that. Uh, see if you find that some skill and ability comes forth by God's Spirit. So, you've been gifted, brothers and sisters, you've been gifted for the church. The last thing that I want you to see is that you have been gifted as God wills. So, we get to the end of the passage here, verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Paul's made that point repeatedly throughout this passage. Who apportions to each one individually as he wills, as God wills, as God sovereignly determines. Not as you and I determine, not as you and I might want. You and I don't get to choose the gifts that we get. We don't get to choose how much of a gift we get, and we don't get to choose what gifts others get or don't get. One person has an abundance of gifts, very skilled and talented, widely known, praised and celebrated. Another person, not so many gifts, behind the scenes, known by a few, largely overlooked. And with that, we must be content because God gives gifts as he wills, as he determines. So there are two things to kind of be careful about or two things that this last verse warns us against. against. Warns us against pride, first of all. If gifts are given as God sovereignly wills and desires, what that means is it's all by grace. Just like our salvation is all by grace. Our sins are forgiven. We belong to our Heavenly Father by grace alone. It's because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's because of what He has accomplished for us. Salvation is a gift. It's received by faith. It's all by grace. And spiritual gifts are the same way. They're given by grace. They're not something you earn. They're not something you've merited. And if it's all by grace, then God has the right to give gifts as he wills, as he determines. And after all, Robert Murray McShane says this, it is not great talents that God blesses as great likeness to Jesus. So if you feel bad because you feel like you're not as gifted as somebody else, just realize that's of secondary importance. The most important thing is your likeness to Jesus. And that can happen for anybody who wants to trust Jesus and pursue him. Great likeness to Christ. So verse 11, it warns against pride, but secondly, verse 11 warns against envy as well. That temptation we have to resent what others have, that self-pity we might feel for gifts that we don't have, God has a right to gift people as he wishes to build his kingdom. You know, you might find actually that you don't really want the stress and the responsibility and the anxiety that comes along with people who are very, very gifted. You might find if you had your gifts, their gifts, you wouldn't like it as much as, as you thought. A guy named Thomas Matton says this, there is in each of us an envy. We are troubled if others glorify God and not us or more than us. But we must leave it to him to choose the instrument that he will employ. We should be content to be abased and obscure, provided Christ is honored and exalted. And that's the implication of verse 11. He apportions to each one individually 
as he wills. So, let me again just leave you with this, this question. How are you going to use your gifts to serve the church in 2020? I'm going to kind of put this in perspective by just closing here with uh, a, a story. Just to, to, to keep this in mind, just to get the long view, the bird's eye view in mind here regarding spiritual gifts. There's a story told of John F. Kennedy, former president, who visited NASA one day and he was walking through the halls and he saw a janitor who was mopping the floor. And he said to the janitor, what's your job here? And he was expecting, well, I'm the guy who takes out the trash, I'm the guy who mops the floors, I'm the guy who sweeps. But what the janitor said was this, I'm helping send a man to the moon. That's what I'm doing as I mop this floor. I've got the long view in mind. Yeah, I have a small role here, but I'm contributing to a greater project, sending a man to the moon. And so whatever you might do here at the church, whether it be vacuuming the floor or caring for infants in the nursery or playing guitar up here on the platform or making coffee on Sunday mornings or opening your home for others to come in or visiting somebody in the hospital, or teaching children, or teaching a class, whatever it is. If someone asks you what you're doing, you can say this, I am building the kingdom of God. That's what I'm doing. I am helping to send people to heaven because I'm taking my part in the church with the gift that God has given me that the gospel may go forth and people may believe and have eternal life. That's why God has gifted us. So seek your gift and serve the church. Let's pray.